0: Our good father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. We ask that you would draw us close through your spirit. And we ask that you would give us life in your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So everyone in here knows what it's like to be close to someone else. And everyone knows in here what it's like to be close to someone who gives life, someone that when we are in their presence, that when we are in a significant relationship with them, it brings joy, it brings gladness, it brings comfort, it brings support, it brings strength. We also know what it feels like to be in a close relationship with someone who seems to take life. That being close to this person brings down, cuts, destroys confidence, weighs down, steals joy. We also know that sometimes we are the ones who give life in relationships. And we also realize that sometimes we are the ones who take life in relationships. Relationships are very, very powerful for good or for bad, And that's not just because we find ourselves around people all the time. It's because of the way that God made us. God created us in such a way that our lives best function when they are intertwined in life giving relationships. But as we think about life and as we think about our relationships, there is one relationship in particular that is meant to surpass all other relationships that we experience. One relationship in particular that is meant to give more joy than any other relationship, more peace, more security, more life. The heart of being human means that we were made for a relationship with God. We recently walked through these events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and we saw this magnificent work of Jesus on our behalf in his death and in his resurrection. And what we don't want to miss as we move beyond those events is that at the heart of what they are doing is is not just giving us a right standing with God. What they are doing is they are meant to bring us close to him in a life-giving and full and connected relationship. Even now, I'm, I'm working with a few different couples walking through premarital counseling. And when we do this, we look at different aspects of marriage. So we look at what's the purpose of marriage? What's the goal? Why has God designed this for us? We look at the gospel. Where does what Jesus has done fit into everything that we're doing? We look at communication. We look at conflict. We look at intimacy. We we look at all these different things because in our relationships, we need help. We need guidance in the marriage relationship, especially it's meant to be a connection that gives life. And we often need help outside of ourselves to direct us. There's a similar truth when it comes with our relationship with God. In making this connection and experiencing the life and the peace and the joy that is there that we were meant to live in, we need help, we need guidance, we need direction, and that is what the Psalms are about. For thousands of years, these collection of prayers has guided God's people along the way in their connection With God himself, the Psalms are prayers and prayer is the language of closeness, and it's the language of connection. And there's a lot of different aspects of this connection and the rhythms of this connection that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. But this morning, I want us to consider just the big picture of what this connection looks like in prayer. And there are three aspects that I want to look at that I hope will guide us into a deeper closeness and deeper community and deeper connection with God. So I want us to look at the end of prayer. I want us to look at the beginning of prayer. And I want to look at everything in between. So the end of prayer, the beginning of prayer and everything in between. Those titles aren't going to make much sense right now, but I hope as we walk through this, they'll become a lot more clear. So first, the the end of prayer. When I say the end of prayer, I'm not talking about what happens when prayer is finished. What I'm talking about is where prayer is going, where prayer is taking us. That prayer invites us and guides us on a journey that's leading us to a particular destination. It's heading somewhere. So think about the stock market and what happens day after day. If you watch the stock market on a daily basis or even on an hourly basis, what you are going to see is constant movement. Up and down. Down, down, up, up, up. It's, it's going to look like it's just moving, but not going in any particular direction. Over the years, there have been significant dips, like in 1929 when the stock market crashed. We worry about our economy right now, but imagine what it's like if half of the banks in the country just simply closed down. You have all your money in those banks, it doesn't matter they're done, you get nothing. 30% of the workforce is out of jobs. That's the Great Depression coming in. That's a significant dip in the life of the stock market. But if you take a step back and look at a graph of the stock market over the past 100, 120 years, what are you going to see? You're going to see slow movement in a particular direction. There's going to be some really highs, there's going to be some lows, but along the way, it's moving in a particular direction. What we need to remember is that the Psalms, these 150 prayers are not just put together randomly. They are collected and ordered in a very specific way so that they are really taking you on a journey So if you want to know where they're taking you, you need to look at the last Psalm. You can look at the last few, but especially the last one, Psalm 150. I want to read it and I want you to think, where are we going? Where is God taking us? Where is the life of prayer moving us? Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord if we are going to follow the Psalms on a journey, they are not going to take us in the end to a place of guilt, to a place of shame, to a place of grief, to a place of sadness, to a place of brokenness, where they will journey, help us journey through those, but they are heading to a place of wonder and gladness and healing and hope in celebration. That's where it's taking us. That is the end of prayer. In verses 1 through 3 in Psalm 33, we see movement in this direction. Getting a foretaste here and now in whatever we are going through of this goodness. Look at verses 1 through 3. Shout for joy to the Lord. O you righteous, praise is fitting. For the upright, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, make melody to him with the harp of ten strings, sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. We're told to shout, give thanks, make melody, play skillfully, sing a new song. You get the sense that something has happened that is meant to stir us. It's meant to move us. It's meant to create worship. This, is, this prayer is a call from one person of faith to another saying, let's join in together. Something so magnificent and special has happened that it's fitting that we would worship. It's fitting that if you win the Super Bowl, you should celebrate It's fitting that if your spouse dies, you should grieve. It's fitting that if you see injustice, you should be angry about it. It's fitting that if your cancer has gone, you should feel relief. It's fitting that if someone hurts you deeply, that you should feel sadness. And it's also fitting that if you belong to God, if you are in his family, That you should feel wonder, gladness, worship. And you should feel a desire, an ever-increasing desire to be close to him. To know him, to trust him, to be with him, to do life with him. That's fitting. And it brings us to a very personal question that we've all got to ask. Is that the trajectory of our lives? Yes, all of us are going to go and are now going through highs and lows. Some of the lows are incredibly deep and dark and painful, and some of the highs are incredible. But as we step back and we look at our life of faith, is it moving towards worship? Is it moving towards wonder and amazement? Or is it moving towards simply cynicism and a jadedness and a frustration and a self-centeredness. In our lives, we're going to have many fears, many frustrations, many disappointments, many hard losses. But if we journey with the Psalms, God is taking us into this place where there's life and being close to Him. Seeing who he is and who he's for us, and if we 're not growing there, what is it that we're missing what 's not connecting? Are we really experiencing the life-giving closeness that we were made for so that's the first that's the first question what is the end of prayer, and is that where we are headed? so that brings us to our second point and our second question well what's the beginning of prayer now the question that I'm really asking here that I want us to consider that us is 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 prayer us taking the first step is prayer us somehow trying to get God's attention, trying to update him on the status of our lives, trying to update him on the status of our world, trying to convince him that he should care enough about what's going on in us, what's going on in the people that we care about. Is it us trying to convince him, like a good lawyer, that he should enter in and do something good about it? Or is prayer our response to what he is already doing? The work that he is already undergoing. Who has the first word in prayer? Look at verses 4 through 17. They're going to teach us an important lesson. Because verses 1 through 3, this call to shout to celebrate, to make music. There's a transition at the beginning of verse 4 where it says for. We're to do all these things for because of this reason, in light of this reality. Why? For the word of the Lord is upright. All His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. What we're seeing here is God's word spoken to us and his work of creation and what he does are so intertwined. You cannot separate them. And what we see here is that our prayer, our life of prayer is a response to what he is doing to a God who is already acting on our behalf. Verse six, the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Verse nine, he spoke. It came to be. He commanded it stood firm. And verse five reminds us this is an act of his goodness and love. Think about it this way. Uh, We've recently welcomed three new little people into our church family. And so we've got little Maggie. Maggie. We've got baby Stella, and we've got baby Nora. Now, I can promise you that when these three little girls came home from the hospital, they did not spend their first night outside in the cold. I can promise you that, it's a safe bet. What they came home to was a climate-controlled home with soft lighting, with a pre-made bed, with clean sheets, with snug clothes, with all of the materials and supplies that were needed for their care and their well-being. Diapers, wipes, bottles, changes. All of that was prepared for them before they ever showed up on the scene. How much did these three girls contribute to their new habitat and their new home? Uh, The answer is nothing, nada, zero. They contributed nothing. It was already there for them before they knew anything to do about it. And it was a expression of the love of their parents. Think about creation in a similar way. One thing we know about creation to be true, whatever your view is of how it all came about. One thing we know to be true is that you weren't there and you didn't make it happen. It was done by someone else and it was done for you as an expression of love. And that's what the psalm is picking up on some of of a prayer as a response to a God who is already at work. But what we, don't, what we see here is it's not just about creation that God's taking the first step. It's also in salvation, in our rescue. Look at verses 13 through 17. When God looks down into our world at the people he's made, what does he see? When he looks down at his people, he sees people who are in great need that cannot rescue themselves. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not saved by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Kings are powerful. Warriors are strong. War horses, many of them in that time means victory. It means deliverance. We need something more powerful when when we look at the brokenness and sin and ruins that is our life and is our world, we need something more than nuclear weapons. We need something more than new laws. We need something more than political think tanks. We need God himself to intervene and act. And that is just what he does. When it comes to our salvation, when we celebrate it, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. One thing we know is true. You weren't there. You didn't make it happen. You may be wondering why we read that gospel lesson uh, before this sermon lesson with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I chose that because it, it presents this beautiful picture of a life of prayer and of where our hope really rests. Because what do you see? What do you see the disciples doing? Staying away? Staying away? Praying urgently, helping Jesus and all of His needs. They're fast asleep. He reminds them again and again, and they help in no way in their master's time of great need. And yet, here is our Savior praying, pleading, bleeding, experiencing the taste of what He will drink in full in just a few hours. It's a beautiful picture that says the hope of of the world and our hope does not rest on our own prayers. It rests on Jesus, on his prayers and in his work. The Apostle Paul says it like this. Many of us are familiar with these words for by grace you have been saved. Through what? Through faith. It is a gift of God, not a result of works or what you do so that no one can boast. No one can be puffed up with pride about what we have done. Our prayers are never the first word. Our life of prayer, this this closeness, this relationship is responsive. It is a reaction. God is the one who is leading the dance and we are responding to him, not trying to get his attention because he's distant, he's bored, he's indifferent, he's frustrated, he's angry. He's already at work, already pursuing The end of prayer, where it's going, worship, gladness, healing. The beginning of prayer, God himself acting, speaking, doing. What happens in between? Our final point, and this one will be brief. We're not at the end of our journey, and we're not at the beginning of our journey. So what does life look like for us day in and day out? In the ups, the downs, and everything in between. Highest mountain, darkest valley. What does this week look like for you? The answer, and we'll close with this, hopeful dependence from a close relationship with God. Day-to-day, hopeful dependence that comes from a close relationship with God. Let's go back to Maggie. And Stella and Nora. The hope of these parents is that these girls will grow to become more and more independent. The parents don't want it to happen fast, but they want it to happen eventually. That one day these girls will be dependent. They will be able to live their lives fully on their own. Not needing their parents, not depending on them for life. There is a danger that we run into where we say, that's how our spiritual lives are supposed to work. When we get started, we're like infants, we're like little babies and children. God has to do everything. But as we grow, we should need Him less and less and less. We know more, we can do more. We're better at life, we're better at loving. We should be more independent. God's view of growth and maturity is the exact opposite. We are actually, the more mature we are in our faith, the more dependent we are to be upon God, the more we are to cling, to trust, to lean on. Look at verses 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name waiting needing help needing a shield needing to trust being glad and this is our prayer this should be our prayer day to day god let your this is verse 22 and it ends with this let your steadfast love be upon us even as we hope in you The strange truth for us here now is that we are in even a better place than the one who wrote this psalm to see God's goodness, faithfulness and grace, because we live on this side of the cross. What they saw in shadows, we see in high definition, surround sound, clarity. This is our Savior. Better than a warrior with greater strength better than a king with great army. It's not our work. It's his. And our lives day in and day out are to be living prayers lived in this reality and lived out of it. Let's pray. Our God, we just ask that your steadfast love would be upon us uh, as we wait, as we hope, As we find ourselves in situations of beauty and of gladness, and as we find our situations in times of weeping and anxiety and grief, we thank you that you are a God who is always with us, who is always for us. Would this these next few weeks be a movement of your spirit whereby you strangely, mysteriously and yet truly draw us closer to you? And we ask this in your name. Amen. As we continue our worship, I'd like to invite you to stand as we sing of this goodness.